0: This is uh, Bert Lewis here, and uh, we're doing uh, podcast, or I should say episode number two. I'm with Bill Ames. How are you today, Bill? Good, Bert. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Yeah, it's uh, Saturday, April 28th. Beautiful, sunny day out there. Um, so, Bill, I thought we would, uh, uh, in our discussions about what we're going to do here in the podcast room, I thought we could start to talk about Ames and Eastern
1: history. hmm so, what, what I'll, local history is a great subject of people right,
0: are interested. Right, I think everybody is in, interested in, you know, how these wonderful buildings got here. Mm-hmm. Who were the first Ames family members that came into Easton? How did they come about getting here? You know, sure. What buildings did they start with? So I'll uh, I'll. Uh, Turn it over to you at this point.
1: Okay, Bert. Well, we can certainly go back and forth, but it's a pleasure to be here. I think uh, every family's got a story. Uh, this is just my family's story, but they're all they're all interesting in their own way. There's no question about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the Ames's, uh that ended up here in our good old northeastern um, really first came in the 1630s. 1634, I think, was the date they first arrived the brothers William and John, and we're all descended from William Ames. Um, John uh, lived to be 92, which was just unbelievable old age, but he never had any, he got married, but they didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. And they got very interested in, um, well, the first jobs the brothers had in the late 1630s were in the iron smelter in, as it was called in Braintree. You know Furnace Village Parkway? Oh, sure. I lived off of Furnace Brook. Furnace Brook Parkway. Right furnace out. Brook, sure. Well, that's that. The the word furnace is mm-hmm. is uh, is linked to this furnace that was on the brook, way back in the 1630s. In in your John and William, they they owned that. They worked there. Or? They 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 worked there. So you'd be, we okay. were very pleased that they had no equity because it went bankrupt. So that's oh. <laughs> that was a good thing. Yeah. But I've been to the historical society in Quincy. I've looked up the records yeah. of the um, there, there, there on the employee list is William R. William and John Ames, so brothers, the brothers, yeah. Okay. okay. So that that was that's you know you looked today at the shovel works here in Easton and the, all the various things they got into. And that's really where it started, I'm sure, because that's where they learned the playbook for eight years. They worked in that furnace. furnace. And, Smelting iron, and yeah, banging yeah. out shovels and banging out the metallurgy.
0: Thing. Metallurgy,
1: yeah, and that was a <laughs> you know anyone who's been into one of these factories where they do that. There's a lot of danger. Oh sure, because there's a lot of heat. There's yeah. a lot of uh, hot weather. There's a lot of you know just things can blow up. Oh absolutely. So they 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 had to learn it well to survive. for the, I guess the eight years they were there, but uh, finally the it went bankrupt because. The, the, the legend is that uh, after a week in the furnace, they'd uh, get their wages, and they'd all go get l- drunk in the local bars, and they'd Old raise bars. hell, because <laughs> they are all young guys. You know, yeah. It wasn't something for a married person, particularly. Okay, so
0: these they were both single guys at that, at they, that point. I
1: think they were single at that point. Okay. Maybe, maybe not, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that you know, that's a trial. That's life in the trenches, like in a war. I mean, you gotta you learn learn to survive uh, physically and uh, some mental toughness. So, so it was John and William. There was John and William, the two brothers. So, how did they get over here to Easton? Well, uh, what they did was just uh, just to divert a second. They they ended up in uh, Bridgewater, West Bridgewater. Okay, yeah, that's what I heard, West Bridgewater. And they they. Thomas Ames was the son of uh, William Ames, and then there was a Thomas Junior, and then there was a John. And they they moved over to West Bridgewater, which is part of the Bridgewater Purchase, mm-hmm. and that's where they started. Um, they had their own. They were blacksmiths, basically. Right. And they I guess they prospered, and they were the country was growing, bouncing along the runway, so to speak. And they developed a nice local business making horseshoes and pots and pans and. Whatever moved, and then uh, John Captain John Ames came along, and he was a very uh, hard-driving guy, and he started. Made, they started making guns for the revolution.
0: All right, now how, how is he connected to
1: John and William? John Captain. would be the great-great grandson. Okay. Okay. Of uh, the original William Ames, I believe. Maybe the on one great-great or grandson. Wow. Yeah. And but he was a very smart guy and he had the benefit of being raised in a foundry. Okay. As a, in a blacksmith okay. shop. Yeah. So guns, you know, because of the revolution and the advances in guns, he started manufacturing guns in West Bridgewater. I muskets, see. whatever they called them, yeah. which was a whole level above as you can imagine making pots and pans. Sure. Sure. So um, there was a guy named Hugh Orr, I think, in Bridgewater, who was uh, a real genius at that. So they, and, and they all knew each other. But yeah. anyhow, they left West Bridgewater, to answer your question. Yeah. Because um, they had bad relations with the town um, in, with regard to taxes and things like that. I see. I think they were all friends, so to yeah. speak. But, yeah, you know, they were trying to run a business. Sure. And the reason they liked Easton was that there's a 70-foot drop from uh flyaway pond down the Queesit Brook. Okay. So that allowed so they scoped it out, I guess, and they quickly realized that they could build a series of canals and ponds which would drive the shovels. Power power the mills to make mm-hmm. the shovels. Nice. So in eighteen oh whatever it was, two, uh yeah. old Oliver at the age of uh, you know, whatever he was, twenty three, came and started, Leonard, rented the lease the um, factories on Shovel Shop Pond that were created by the Leonard family. It's a very prominent family around here. Okay. And they're down and uh, you can see them all over Taunton and whatever way back. And they were all very talented iron makers. The Leonard's. Mm-hmm. Leonard family works. So so that's how they, that's long story short, that's how they got here. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Old Oliver, for those who might not know, was a very you know, he was twenty-three. It was, was it wasn't exactly analogous to the Silicon Valley, but it was the latest tech thing, making these guns and
0: you know. Oh, sure, manufacturing. Yeah, yeah
1: and you had to make all these parts and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah,
0: everything was made, yeah, individually.
1: So you may wonder how did uh, Oliver get the, you know, the savoir faire, so to speak, to his knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Well, the answer is it's very interesting. His older brother David, who was older by. I guess 16 years. Was, okay. Was out in Springfield. Yeah. And was the head of the Springfield Armory. He was the first superintendent of the Springfield Armory, which was the country's first armory. And an armory is where they manufacture guns. Oh, sure. And so his older brother David had picked up knowledge with his father, okay. in West Bridgewater, how to make guns and all that. Right, and, right. And uh, somehow through somebody else, they knew George Washington, through Fisher cool. Ames, their cousin, who was a congressman. I you, you yeah. could, sp- could, you know, you could speculate how sure. he, he happened to be appointed the first superintendent of the armory. Okay, But he was in uh, 1793. Wow. Yeah, amazing, huh? So he
0: learned the, the uh, arms manufacturing process.
1: That's right. That, so David Ames learned the uh, mass production that okay. was the key to this whole thing. Mass production. Yeah, Mass production of guns, which is to say, someone does the barrel, someone does this, and they pass it down sure. the line. Right. So wow. young Oliver, at age 19, once spent yeah. four years out there in Springfield. Okay. Hired by his brother. He was just a young intern, I'm sure. Yeah. So he learned. He learned the process. How to do it. All of yeah. made the mistakes and... You know, he, he, he they all knew people like Samuel Colt who did the Colt Arms. It was oh, sort of, sure. That was sort yeah. of the like I say, the Silicon Valley of its day. Yeah, Springfield. which is just a you know, like the Blackstone Valley mm-hmm. became later on the Springfield Rifle, Springfield yeah. Rifle in World yeah. War One. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's because um, I used to think growing up, I said, "Well, Oliver is son of this bl- you know successful blacksmith, yeah. and he probably." Yeah. Uh, had to set out on his own and said, "Well, I'm going to go to. will so go to Easton and build up a couple of factories." Well, I didn't realize that he had been and spent five years in Springfield in the company of all these experts and right on the edge of sure mass yeah. production. Yeah. So, so when he arrived here, he had in his head a plan. I see. Or he knew the, you know, he knew the direction he wanted to go and had uh, right. clearly some self-confidence that his knowledge would. Yeah. Move the whole thing forward. Yeah, yeah.
0: He had the experience uh, in the manufacturing and the, uh, uh, so, now, where did he, where was the first uh, Ames building, uh, manufacturing, was it where the shovel shops
1: are now? No, no, it was, uh, it was uh, off Pond Street in the, what they called the island. Okay. Which was, uh, okay. And when my brother comes on the show, he can he can tell you a lot more than I can. He lives yeah. in
0: the original building, the my, oldest building. My
1: brother Fred lives on Pond Street, forty six right. Pond Street, okay. which is the very building where. Uh, and then he took a a lease on the uh, Leonard works, the Leonard family, and the uh, the pond rights and all this sort of stuff. And that's where that's where he began. So that was the that was the start, you know. Interesting. Yeah, and it just grew from there. Well, you bounced along the runway, you know, like you got to do to get yeah. established, and yeah. you got to have a marketing, and you got to get go around, go to the sh- go to the trade shows, as they say. Right, right. But yeah, so. Wow, well, that's interesting. So that was the start of it. That's the start, and they ended up in shovels because um, there was all sorts of uh, you know there were all problems of the War of eighteen twelve, and there was an embargo, and the. British, all these uh, shovels and spades and plows and everything built up in the warehouses in England. Mm-hmm. Okay. And once the war was over, they just dumped everything in the United States. Right. So the prices of all these metal items dropped like a rock. Yeah. So that put them up against bankruptcy around 1815. Okay. And so they had to make the call: well, we can't make these these. Plows and hoes and spades and pots and pans because we're not going to last. It's like the Plimpton family, next right. door, in Walpole. They they decided well let's make let's concentrate in spades. You know what I you know what I mean by a spade or a digging spade, digging spade yeah, type of yeah. thing. Yeah, but uh, the Ameses fortunately made the call to go into the shovels because there's is you know there's a tremendous need for shovels, all different mm-hmm. types of sure. shovels. Yeah. Whereas a spade was pretty much farming. It had okay. nothing to do with canal construction. You can't build a canal with a spade.
0: No. It was build a
1: railroad for, with a spade.
0: Yeah, it was for farming.
1: Yeah, so the Plimptons yeah. stuck to that. And that's what sort of was, they sort of took the wrong direction. But Oliver Ames, to his great credit, mm-hmm. figured, well, the shovels are the way to go.
0: Now, the Plimptons were part of your family?
1: Yeah, the Plimptons uh, married into the Ames family and uh, vice versa, of course, uh, through the daughter of Oaks and Blanche up at Borderland, Pauline. She married Francis T.P. Plimpton, and their, one of their children, as we all know, was the famous George. Yeah. And um, so Francis was a very successful. He was a big-time lawyer in New York, and he was assistant ambassador to the United Nations and all this sort of stuff. And I only met him once or twice, but uh, he was an extremely... Easy guy to talk to. You yeah. think someone who was that successful sure. would be difficult to talk to for yeah. someone like me? You know, yeah. we didn't know particularly, but uh, he was a most uh, impressive guy. Very open and interested in other people, and yeah. I guess if you're a successful lawyer, you got to have a lot of that. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know? So he
0: lived right at Borderland.
1: Uh, the Plumptons lived in New York.
0: Oh, in New York.
1: Okay. Yeah, because he was, as I say, an ambassador in New York, and yeah. Plimpton, uh, Devois Plimpton Law Firm in New York was Francis Deese. He was one of these very gifted guys. I see, yeah. For, it all came natural to him. Right, yeah, absolutely. So George, that's the milieu that George grew up oh, in. Oh, sure, yeah. So G-
0: George lived here, he grew up at Borderland? No, George grew up in New York. In New York. So w- how I, the stories that he was at Borderland?
1: Well, he wouldn't come up because mm-hmm. as he got famous... Yeah, he became very supportive of uh, the Borderland. His brother Oakes, oh, his brother Plimpton, yeah. was very involved. It created the Friends of Borderland, and the I see. Uh, back in the 1970s, when it first became a state park, and Oakes did really uh, amazing job of staying interested and helping out. And yeah. So every once in a while, they'd have a fundraiser or something, and George would come up. He would come up, okay. And give a nice talk, and everybody laugh a oh, lot. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> he was quite an author. What did he do? Paper Tiger. He did Paper Tiger. He did a whole lot of other. Uh, yeah. um, sports great, related. Oh, sports. Yeah. A and lot it, there's it, a great yeah. documentary about him. George, George, it makes un, unbelievable watching to think that a guy just with such a unique niche. Yeah, yeah. He sort of figured it out. Right. My uh, parents, my uncle and his wife were living in London and uh, George was in Paris. This is right after the Second World War. It was 1951. Okay. So George, they all knew each other, of course. So George came over. My uncle was somewhat older than George, probably 50, ten or fifteen years. But anyway, George comes over, is in London, and they have, they have a, they invite George over for lunch. Okay. So my uncle says to George, says George, what do you want to do with your life? Right. And George, at this point, I mean, he'd been through the World War II sure. and you know, he was hardly uh, wet behind the ears. And he said, uh, "Well, John, I want to be a celebrity. Okay, how okay. about that? Yeah, so I remember
0: he, seeing him on the Merv Griffin show. He he would do that whole circuit. Johnny Carson, I think he was on.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he was. Uh, and he was, you know, he was very good because that's what he did. He spoke and he wrote. So he just yeah. he just got very good at it. He yeah. just did it over and over again for Excellent. thirty years and so."
0: Yeah, he passed away within the, recently, or within
1: well, was it was ten years, ago? ten years ago. He was okay. sort of young. Was, I think he was seventy-three. Yeah, or he wasn't that old. Yeah, no, no.
0: All right, Bill, we've at uh, like the fifteen-minute mark here on the podcast, uh, episode two.
1: Well, happy to do it again sometime, Bert. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think uh, we've just begun. Uh, Oliver has just arrived at Northeastern. Yeah, and <laughs> good uh, starting we, point. We sort of spice it up with a little talk about George. Famous yeah. George, so I'm happy, uh, happy to be able to do it on this nice Saturday morning and yeah, late April.
0: Yeah, perfect. All right, Bill, uh, thank you very much, and we'll uh, see you next week on this.
1: Good, good, Bert. All Enjoyed right. it. Yeah, take care.